listen to the 48 Hours podcast on demand. Real people, real crimes, real life drama. 48 Hours investigates the most intriguing crime and justice cases. Investigators discovered Brown chained up like a dog. We can hear the girl yelling for help. CBS News is bringing investigative reporting and impact journalism. You have this toxic love triangle. It was a crime that rocked this upscale community. The 48 Hours podcast. This case was a true whodunit. Download and subscribe on the new radio.com app or wherever else you get your podcast. Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here is Matt Cabry. The way people work and the future of our workplaces is here. It's happening today right in front of us. And on this edition of Growing Greater Philadelphia, we're going to dive into that topic by talking with one of the leaders of our business and civic community here in Philadelphia that has uh, deep roots and very proud roots in this space of helping to shape how people work. And we're really privileged to welcome Joan Waters from Kafka. Joan, it's great to have you. Matt, thank you. I'm excited to be here and very excited and honored that you'd ask me to participate. Absolutely. I can't think of a better organization to welcome than one that has deep, proud roots dating back to 1946. And I love that. I love the the history of companies who call Greater Philadelphia home and have stuck through the ups and downs and the ins and outs of uh, the business turbulence, if you will, not just of Philadelphia, but of, of the business cycles in general. So we're really thrilled to have Kafka. And, and in that spirit, Joan, share with us, what does Kafka actually mean? Well, so Kafka was started in 1946, as you commented, and when we were founded, the company was called Commercial Office Furniture Company. Okay. So Kafka is the abbreviation of Commercial Office Furniture Company, which of course now we have to explain to everyone what Kafka stands for. So why we shortened it, I'm not exactly sure, Right. but that's what it stands for, Commercial Office Furniture. We do office furniture. And it's a really good point of conversation, actually, when you ask somebody um, you know, about Kafka. It leads into... A nice natural description. Absolutely. And most of us will say COF as in furniture, CO. When we're talking about Kafka, we'll, again, it's just a way to get people to understand and really understand we're about furniture. Yeah, absolutely. But the naturalness of how Kafka has evolved is a really intriguing story. Share with us a little bit more about David and Alan and the family that's behind Kafka. So I've had the incredible honor and pleasure of working for two of the finest people ever put on this earth. David Einstein is our founder. He founded the company in 1946. He, after World War II, would go into government offices and liquidate the offices. And he found that furniture sold better than anything else in an office. So he decided to start an office furniture company. Mm -hmm. An entrepreneur, you know, at a young age. So he started a commercial office furniture company in, in 46 and built a really good company. He was located in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. He ultimately bought a number of buildings in Chinatown. And Alan, his son, who I've worked very closely with since I joined the company in 88, Alan came in in 1970. He worked incredibly closely with his dad. They were inseparable. And again, when you Think about two people that loved and respected and honored one another. (laughs) Their names and their pictures should be in the book uh, to describe that. They decided to buy a small company, 
out in the suburbs in the late 80s. Okay. And they realized that they needed somebody to run that, that they didn't really want to dilute what they were doing here in Center City. So they found me, and I came in in 1988. And so that was... November 1st will be 30 years for me. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I want to hear more about that. But before we go to the life and times of Joan Waters, I want to dive into a little bit more about David and Alan, especially because if I understand it correctly, David is actually native to greater Philadelphia. I think it was Vineland, New Jersey, which I would call part of the greater Philadelphia neighborhood. Yeah. Yep. And he stayed with the community. This is his home. And that's part of the story of Kafka. We are a Philadelphia-based company, and David loved the city, and he felt very connected to Philadelphia. He was very involved in not just office furniture, but in the city. Mitzi Einstein, his wife, who's still with us and Mm -hmm. just an unbelievable woman, was very active and and supportive of many of the organizations and charities here in the city. Mm -hmm. David believed in Philadelphia. And we, to this day, believe we're a Philadelphia-based company. And, you know, at times there are challenges that being a Philadelphia-based company may present, but it doesn't matter. We love Philadelphia. And although we're a Philadelphia-based company, we obviously are committed to the region. We service the region as a whole. Right. We have a nice base here in Philadelphia, but we certainly have clients that go all the way to the Sure, and go up to Harrisburg and go throughout the region. Sure, and and we at Greater Philadelphia, or I should say Select Greater Philadelphia, we love to hear that because, as you may know, we cover what I call the 11-county neighborhood. So while companies are headquartered in the city of Philadelphia, or maybe they're headquartered in Chester County or Burlington County, I think we all appreciate that. We're all one big neighborhood, and our clients, our friends, our colleagues are spread throughout that neighborhood. And to your point, they sometimes go much further, either up to New England or down to D.C. or out to Harrisburg or Pittsburgh and and even further. So the fact that their roots are really deep here in the city is special. And I do have to say, I know you mentioned Mitzi. It wasn't too long ago that David left us. It was not. And it was a very sad day when we lost him. Um, But I will tell you that he left a very lasting legacy. Mm Mm-hmm. Our company is based on the principles that he created and he started and he embodied. He believed in financial stability, financial security. He was always very fiscally responsible. We never, ever did anything we couldn't afford to do. Right. We have an incredibly solid balance sheet because of David. Yeah. He was extraordinarily loyal to his clients, Mm -hmm. to his employees, to his vendors. We've had the same bank relationship for 35 years. We've had the same accounting firm for 35 years. And that goes back to David. Right. He always believed in doing the right thing. And he did the right thing because that's what you did. You do the right thing. Right. Whether somebody's looking at you or not, you just do the right thing. That's right. And it says a lot about a person when they can do that when no one else is looking and they know what the difference is between the right path and the path that's less desirable and less appropriate. And what I love about what you just shared, Joan, is small business owners, they have to be risk takers. But what I'm hearing is David is a risk taker, but he's a measured risk taker, and he's not willing to do things irresponsibly. And that is very, very, very accurate. And again, he loved office furniture, so he loved the pre-owned side of the business, and as did and does Alan, although Alan certainly was more involved probably in, in some of the new part of the business. David loved to go in and help a client that was moving take and find a way to recycle, which Mm -hmm. 
he was recycling product long before it was cool to recycle say, product. That's how he started out, right? Exactly. And so he loved that side of the business and was very successful in that side of the business. He also was very committed to the full service part of the business, where a lot of people want to sell furniture. David not only wanted to sell it, but he wanted to have it delivered and installed and done so in an incredibly professional manner. All of our delivery and installation, I shouldn't say all, a large part of our delivery and installation are done by Kafka people mm. because David believed that that was an important part of the business. Right. The last people to come in contact with our clients are those drivers and installers. He would be on the dock in the morning as the guys were loading. He would be on the dock when they got back to make sure that things went exactly as they were supposed to go. He was just an incredible, incredible. I often will say, David used to forget more in a day than I will ever know in my entire life. Right. He was an incredible individual. And I feel unbelievably lucky to have had the good fortune of working for him. I can tell that. I really can, Joan. I feel the passion that you have for David and for Alan, frankly, because I know that Alan is still part of the, the business today, and you remain privileged to work with him every day in living out the Einstein legacy, if you will. So David went to Widener before Widener was Widener, when right. it was the military college, and Alan went to Villanova. And it's funny because Alan and I, I'm a Dookie, and Alan's an, a Nova fan, and so right. it always creates some internal fun. Yes. But- Alan, again, he followed in his father's footsteps. He believed in taking care of our employees. He believed in creating long-term relationships. It wasn't about the sale. It was about the long-term relationship. Right. When you think of office furniture, people think, oh, they buy furniture once, right? right? Yeah. Right. No, we have clients that we've worked with for Lockheed Martin, we've worked with for well over 30 years. It's about the long-term. It's sure. not about the single sale. And that's something important that I've learned from Alan. Yeah. And I want to use that, Joan, as a pivot point, because um, you're absolutely right. You know, Alan and David have built a foundation of success at Kafka, and it's evolved over time. And to your point just now, it's about relationships. But office furniture is actually much more than what the term would suggest, because it's about an environment where people are coming every day. And how do they feel and when they're in that environment. And to your point, and I know it's kind of a mantra within the Kafka family, which is the way people work. And I'd love for you to expand on that notion of, hey, you're not just installing some workstations or office furniture. You're actually creating an environment that allows a specific industry to achieve very specific goals based on what their focus is. To be successful in what we do, you really need to understand your client. You need to understand who they are and what they're trying to accomplish with their space. Is their space about impressing and, and winning clients? Is it about retaining their own people? Is it about attracting the brightest and the best? And frankly, every organization should have a part of that inside their organization. Mm -hmm. But your furniture is going to help you create culture. It's going to help you create an environment that does help you attract the brightest and the best and does help you retain talented individuals. It's not just about a chair and a desk. It's about creating that space that really helps you create that culture, that, mm -hmm. that helps you build that culture. Right. Yeah. I've seen it myself. It's how you work, how you work better, how you work smarter, 
frankly, how you work together that can make a big difference in the success of a particular organization. And Joan, we've all been in these situations where you walk into a conference room, for example, and you can just feel how appropriate that space is, or frankly, how inappropriate that space can be, and how much more productive a a meeting will be, or a conversation will flow, or outcomes of next steps will be calculated. And I was hoping you could talk with us about maybe a generic story where you kind of saw that, and where you could come in, and you could see a space, and you could say, here are our recommendations, and here are why we are making these specific recommendations based on this particular industry or this particular organization's goals. I'll tell you a story that we went in to present to a client that was looking to work with a partner, a long-term partner, and they knew that they were going to make a decision on their first building. But in reality, that decision was the beginning of a long-term standard. Mm -hmm. So we walked into a space and you could tell they just weren't happy. You could tell it wasn't what they needed. This was a creative organization that was in a very drab just a space that didn't speak to who they were and what they were trying to do as a business. And it was it was a funny meeting because we just like literally took over and said, guys, we were very enthusiastic. We were very excited. And by the end of the meeting, we had this client so excited about what the vision for what they wanted right. was. And they realized very quickly, we got it. We understood their vision. And felt, I think, even after that first meeting, felt very confident that we were going to be able to help them deliver on that vision. Right. But what's important about that, and I kind of picked up on this, is that subtly, is that, you know, you can listen to the needs or, frankly, you can perceive the frustrations that are happening and unfolding in front of you and your team as you're having this conversation with a, with a client or a prospective client. And for you to be able to articulate a vision back to them of what could be takes talent and takes skill. I am very fortunate to work with some amazing people. I will tell you that today, the reason that Kafka is successful is because of the people I work with. You know, the old adage, surround yourself with people that are smarter and more talented than you are. I've scored 100 on that test. We have an amazing design team who, again, listens, understands, and is able to really deliver on what someone's vision is. We have a great project management staff that when we say we're going to do something, they make sure we live up to that commitment. And my sales team, I'm fortunate to have some people that have been doing this for a very long time and have incredibly loyal clients because they're great listeners. Those are rare qualities, but we're fortunate to have a team that does a great job on all levels. Yeah. So we're talking with Joan Waters, who's privileged to lead an organization called Kafko, also known as Commercial Office Furniture Company, founded right here in Philadelphia back in 1946. Joan, you were mentioning your team. How big is Kafko? What number of team members do you have? And if you, you mentioned the longevity of some of these folks, how long has, uh, has some of the team members been here, other than Alan, for example? So we are 69 people strong. Yep. And so I love to tell the story. I started in 88, and one of my drivers, one of my wonderfully talented driving staff, Steve, started six months behind me. Mm -hmm. So Steve and I often joke that we have literally grown up through the industry together. And Steve's still going strong and is really good at what he does. I have salespeople that have been there longer than I have. I have one gentleman in the warehouse who's been there almost as long as I have. 
We will often go out on a presentation and we'll talk about what the average longevity of the team is. The last presentation we did, the average longevity of the team was 13 and a half years. Wow, that's impressive. What we find is that when people come to Kafka, if they stay two years, they end up staying for a very long time. Yeah, right. And we're pretty proud of that fact. Again, it speaks to our commitment to our employees, our our loyalty, and again, you're only going to be successful if your entire team is committed to the long-term goal, which is making sure we have satisfied successful clients. Yeah. And you're right. It, it does come back to the culture. How do people feel when they come into a workspace, including your own workspace? And speaking of longevity, you've referenced this a couple of times, and I want to dive into it a little bit more. And that is your own journey. Tell us about Joan Waters. Where did you grow up and how did you find yourself transitioning to our greater Philadelphia neighborhood? So I actually grew up just outside of Boston and went to school in New England, went to Bryant University. My father passed away when I was a senior in college. I had gone to school with the expectation I would go work for my dad when I graduated. Okay. And so I ended up graduating and realizing I really now didn't have a plan. Yeah, you felt a little lost. What kind of business was your dad involved with? He sold fire trucks. Oh, interesting. (laughs) That's pretty novel. He actually sold fire trucks for FMC. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. So... But that was a a milestone moment in your life. It really was. It really was. So I ended up going on vacation to see my sister, took an interview down in Maryland, Mm -hmm. where she was living, and was hired by a company called DNF Desks and Furnishings that was a much of a retail-type organization, but had locations up and down the East Coast. Pretty quickly after being hired, I became the person that would go in and take over poorly run locations, turn Mm -hmm. them around and then get relocated. Gotcha. So I ended up moving six times in in my 20s, which works really well in your 20s. Yeah. But as you start to get closer to 30, not so much. You know, I I just want to interrupt you for a moment because first of all, I love that journey in your 20s of being so successful that you were relied on to come in and kind of be the fixer, if you will. But really, what really caught my ear is the fact that this was kind of serendipity. You didn't really plan this. It just started to unfold in front of you. And I love that part of the journey. It definitely was not planned. I don't think anyone actually goes to school with the expectation of going into office furniture, unless you're Alan and your dad owns a furniture dealership. Right. And I love DNF. I was ultimately sent to New York and we had three locations in New York and I was asked to get them situated and get them really moving in the right direction. Yep. So my opinion of New York is that no Bostonian should ever live in New York. (laughs) I lived there for 18 months and it was the longest five years of my life. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody recommended a good friend of mine to Alan for the job he was looking to fill. And Gerald said, I'm not interested, but call Joan. She's really well connected. She knows a ton of people. She may be able to help you. And he called on a particularly bad New York day. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll take the interview. And I went and I spent six hours with Hannah's dad. And Alan will take exception to this, but halfway through the interview, David found out that I was from a town called Acton, where his daughter lived at the time. And the tone of the interview changed instantly, and I was like in like Flynn. Right, right. You had a connection. (laughs) I did. Yeah. I did. Alan, if Alan was here, he would totally disagree with (laughs) this perspective. But my perspective is I got hired because I was from Acton. Right. My parents were named Alan and Nancy, 
Alan is named Alan, obviously, and his yeah. wife is Nancy. And he has a sister named Joan, and I have a brother named Alan. And so that's why I got the job. But, you know, sometimes those types of connections work. You know, they just feel right. It's almost like it was meant to be. And you pick up on these little signals during these six-hour interviews where you start to feel not only is this right, but it was almost like, why haven't I been here my whole life? And literally working with Alan and David, it was almost instantaneous. We really, from that day to today, uh, you know, I still feel incredibly fortunate that although I've become majority owner of the company, Alan wants to work and does work and is there. And I rely on him heavily still for lots of advice and lots of direction. I have worked with two of the most amazing people. I, I, I know I've said that before, but yeah. I, I'm just, I mean it yeah, still to this day. Say, yeah, you can't say it enough for sure. So, Joan, one of the things that I really appreciate about you and your experiences as well, and, and you've referenced this, is you're native to New England, the greater Boston region, which is great, and you should be very proud of that. But you've also had experiences in other parts of our country. You referenced you moved six times in your 20s when you were working with another organization and ended up in New York. So you have a good comparison of what other regions, what other communities are like. And I want to hear from you a little bit more about the specialness that you've experienced over the last 30 years living and working in greater Philadelphia. But I want to start with, if you can, those first couple months, take us back to November, December of 88, January, February of 89. Where were you? Where did you land? How did it feel? And did you feel as excited as you did previously during the conversations with Alan and David? Matt, that's a great question. You know, it's funny. When I, I left my first meeting with David and Alan and went to my sisters, and I remember having a conversation and talking about Philadelphia and talking about the similarities that Boston had to Philadelphia. And still do. And yeah. still does. Yeah. The reality that it has this incredibly strong sports passion. Passion. Yeah. That's yeah. a great word. It has incredibly strong theater. The arts mm-hmm. are incredibly important. It has a great higher education and it has a really strong suburban part. Although the city is incredibly important, the suburbs have really been an important part of the evolution of of this region. Absolutely. Very, very much like Boston. Mm -hmm. So I remember even early on feeling that there were a lot of similarities, obviously a lot of differences, and there's a lot that we've seen evolve over the last 30 years. I ended up living in Lower Gwinnett Mm -hmm. for six years, I think, before I uh, met my husband and ended up getting married. Mm -hmm. We now live in um, just outside of Valley Forge and love living out in the suburbs, except on mornings like yesterday when it takes me an hour and 40 minutes to get to work. But sure. really love the balance, love yeah. the suburbs, but love all that the city has to offer. Yeah. And for those who may not have an appreciation, Lower Gwinnett and frankly, both the suburban areas of Valley Forge are in Montgomery County, which are roughly 25, 30 miles outside of Center City, Philadelphia. And Joan, to your point, sometimes the commute can be over an hour and sometimes it can be 30 minutes. It depends on your day. It depends on the time of the day uh, and what's going on in, in your world. So we do recognize that commuting time can be a challenge. I will say one of the fun facts that many folks may not appreciate about Greater Philadelphia is our commute time is actually one of the most favorable in the U.S. compared to other major metropolitan areas. I know it doesn't always feel that way. And I think that is very true unless you travel the Schuylkill Expressway. Yeah, it is true, but it is true even with the Schuylkill. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's something like 48 minutes of average commute time for the average uh, resident of greater Philadelphia, where other major cities, it's you know over 60 minutes or, or longer. But I, I totally feel your pain at times. And speaking of transportation and transportation infrastructure, coming back to work for a little bit, and I want to touch more on, on your journey is, um, you know, you guys are distributing. You have a warehouse, a beautiful facility on North American Street where you have a showroom and a warehouse, and you distribute across the tri-state area and beyond. How important is that to be able to access highways and other kinds of uh, distribution points? Incredibly important. We run a fleet of trucks. We run three or four vans every day, and we love being on North American Street. As we have coined the term, we are just north of Northern Liberties. Right. And we've been there long before it was hip to be there. But in terms of logistics, it's extremely well located. It's easy to get to Jersey. It's obviously, it's easy to get to Center City. It's easy to get out into the burbs, to go down to Delaware, to get up towards Northern Jersey. This location for us is perfect. And it's why we're there. Yeah. And it's, you know, that whole area where where Kafka is located in really North Philadelphia, north of Northern Liberties, is a special area. It always has been. It's seen peaks and valleys. And I would suggest it's certainly on an upward trajectory right now, in part because of the commitment that organizations like Kafka have made to the neighborhood. And frankly, that goes back to the roots of Kafka of staying true to the city of Philadelphia, even during some of those rough patches. And to your point earlier, David was so passionate about supporting the, the region and the city, even when it wasn't kind of in fashion to do that. But I want to come back to 1988 and beyond, because you've grown a really successful career as part of the leadership team at Kafka. And back in 2016, there was a milestone moment. And I was hoping you could share with us a little bit more about that. So I have been fortunate to be in a position to buy the company from Allen. Congratulations. So That's exciting. It is. And again, I it's very exciting. It's uh, There's some pressure that goes with that, and there's some responsibility that goes with that. Right. But Allen has been very gracious, and, and we negotiated an arrangement, negotiated a deal in, in 2013, and I became majority owner, and, and as a result, we are a WBE today. Mm-hmm. Which, share, with, share with WBE. So we're a women business enterprise, mm-hmm. which has become a bigger issue in the last five to seven years. It, it's organizations like IBC or Comcast want to make sure that they're supporting minority firms or mm-hmm. disadvantaged firms. Sure. And, and we're fortunate to now be considered a disadvantaged firm because I am a woman. <laughs> as ironic as that sounds, yeah, right? I, but um, it's an important distinction. and. Right. I feel very lucky to own an organization that is as solid and as well-built as, as Kafka is. You know, it's funny. When I came to Kafka, we were a $6 million company. Right. So to think about where we've come to where we are today, it's a pretty amazing road that we have traveled. It sounds like it. And it's, it sounds like a, it's a journey that you've really enjoyed and embraced and should be really proud of. And, um, you know, coming back to the WBE distinction, women-owned business enterprise, business is competitive. And any time an organization can have a distinguishing characteristic that sets you apart from all of your peers, it should be embraced as a benefit. And I know there are other distinguishing characteristics that the Kafka team has, and, and I was hoping you could share with us some of those things. What makes Kafka so special whether it's the people or how you are doing the work that you do. So I always start by saying I think our team and our team's approach 
are probably the biggest differentiators we bring to the table. Some of our competitors have chosen to not have their own operational side of the business. They don't do their own deliveries. They don't do their own installations. They farm that out. Right. Frankly, from a cost standpoint, it's probably more cost effective to use an outside firm. We believe that it makes us a better organization for us to control our own destiny. Mm Mm-hmm. If Steve goes out on a delivery and he's going out with that intent and that desire to represent us the way I want him to represent us, Mm -hmm. we're very, very lucky on that front. If you use an outside firm, they don't have that same commitment. They are the last people to come in contact with our clients. If they are not as passionate and committed and detailed, that client's going to remember that. And the chances of that client coming back are reduced significantly. That's right. I can go out and promise them the sky, the moon, and the sun, but it's our installers and our drivers that have to deliver on that, and our guys do. We have the best trained, and the David was a car guy and mm-hmm. a truck guy, right. so we have great trucks, right. which I, again, thank David and Alan for. We're very committed to that part of the business, and not all of our competitors believe as passionately as we do that that's an important part of the business. It's about empowering your people. And it sounds like Steve and your other drivers who are the the last on the scene, if you will, on the front line with your clients are empowered to make sure that any issue that may arise is resolved to the to the satisfaction of the client. That is a really key distinguishing characteristic. Folks, we're talking with Joan Waters. She's the proud president and CEO of Kafco, a Philadelphia-based company. And Joan, I was hoping you could share with us a little bit more about, again, your experiences in greater Philadelphia. You came here in 1988 after living in several different areas and being born and raised in the greater Boston area. And you and your husband now call Greater Philadelphia home. What do you love about Greater Philadelphia? Oh, we love everything about Philadelphia. My husband is a an art major and loves art. And so actually our first date was at the art museum. Oh, cool. And we go there all the time. Yeah. We love the the biking culture, the the obsession with sports. This city has changed so much in the last fifteen years. It is a very different it's just a different city today than it was fifteen years ago. There's so much to do here. There are days where I truly think we should relocate and and give up our suburban location and move into the city like so many of my uh, counterparts have done. Right. It's just a great city. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You ask, what do we love about it? It's almost hard to define what we love about it. We love the restaurants. We love the theater. We love the arts. Yeah. There's so many different parts that it's hard to define one. Yeah, I agree with you. And to your point, this is one big community, and you reference living in the Pennsylvania suburbs, and they're great, too. Absolutely. And there's, they're as great and vibrant as downtown Philadelphia. You can go to Ambler. You can go to King of Prussia or Malvern or Media or Doylestown or even over to New Jersey and to any of those great communities and experience that same kind of special vibrancy that we feel in Old City or in South Philadelphia or in Fairmount or in Center City, Philadelphia. And to your point, too, it's almost easier to ask what don't you like about Greater Philadelphia? And I mean that in a serious way, and I would challenge you a little bit, Joan, to say, if there's something you could change or one or two things that you could see we, or collectively we as a community could work on to improve, is there something that stands out for you? So for me, you know, I come from a family of educators. My Mm. mother was an educator and my sister's in education. My aunt and uncle were in education. You know, obviously, the the struggles within the city and the school system have been well documented. 
But I also think as a business, we Mm -hmm. have a responsibility to try and help that. We've become very connected to North Kensington High School, which is just six blocks from us. So, you know, for me to look and say the city needs to improve its education, well, great, that may be true. But if I don't do something to try and take action to help that, then shame on me for commenting on it. Shame on me for not taking action. And I do believe that it's a pretty heavy lift that needs to be done, but I think business small, medium, and large, we as part of this community need to get involved and make a difference. We need to help every student that comes through that school system come out of there successfully and better off than they came into it. I couldn't agree more. And I love the fact that your team is actually taking action because you're right. A lot of people complain. They talk about, they suggest, they recommend, and sometimes they do it anonymously. you know, calling in or, or writing sure. op-eds or things like that. And what I find really inspiring is, is organizations like Kafka who actually take the time, invest the resources to bring about positive change in your media community and sometimes beyond. So I love the fact that six blocks away, you're connecting with the families, the students who call your neighborhood their home at Kensington High School. That's really in- inspiring and, and very impressive that you're actually taking action. We feel a connection to this community. We've been in our neighborhood since 88. We bought our first building in, actually, I'm sorry, in 1990, we bought our first building and we our primary space we bought in, in 2001. And we've watched the neighborhood change and mm. we've watched it evolve and we feel very connected. We're proud of being part of the early transformation and we want to help make a difference. I want to help the community whether it be when the police need help or the fire department needs new furniture. I mean, we want to make a difference in that neighborhood. We want to hire and employ people from the neighborhood, and we want to help the students. Yeah. Joan, how about from a work perspective, or I should say, you know, kind of a business environment perspective? You know, we often talk about how great our assets are from a business perspective, because at Select Greater Philadelphia, we're trying to attract new companies here. And doing a great job. Thank thank you. you. I appreciate that. You know, from around the world, hopefully so that they uh, become clients of Kafka as well. If you can talk a little bit about, we we referenced infrastructure before, but how about workforce development, business climate in general, the academic, civic, and business community camaraderie that we all feel? Again, you talk about the change that has occurred in the last 10 years, I've become very active in the chamber. And I have Mm -hmm. to say, it is amazing to watch what the chamber has done to help be a big part of that evolution. The connection between the chamber and the higher ed here, the chamber and, and the city government, they may not necessarily always have the same perspective or have the same opinion, but the, the desire to want to create the right outcome, it's pretty impressive. There are challenges being a Philadelphia-based company. Sure. But at the end of the day, I think the chamber has done such a great job representing business as a whole, not just small business, but corporate and everything in between. We are extremely proud to say that we are active in the Chamber of Commerce and believe that what you and Rob and Andrea and 
everybody are doing is been hugely beneficial for all of us. Well, thank you for saying that, Joan. I really appreciate it. And Select Greater Philadelphia being the business attraction arm of the Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia, we actually can't be successful without you, frankly. We're the conduit, but we really rely on business leaders like you and others to come together and work with us and work through us to bring about that positive change. And to your point, everybody doesn't agree on everything, but the dialogue in order to get to a more positive outcome is what's so important. And and we're really thrilled that our business community, our academic and civic community see that as well. And they come together through our Chamber of Commerce. So thanks for being part of it as well. We are proud members of the Chamber. Yeah, thank you. So, folks, we've been talking with Joan Waters, and you can tell she's a proud resident of Greater Philadelphia and a proud owner, president and CEO of Kafka, a um, office furniture company that has called Philadelphia home since 1946. And, Joan, thank you so much for taking time to be with us and share your story here on Growing Greater Philadelphia. Matt, it's been a pleasure. We love you. We love what you're doing, and, and we certainly love Philadelphia. So thank you. Hey, this segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to us by Independence Blue Cross. They're a proud sponsor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross is the largest health insurer of the Philadelphia region, serving more than 2.5 million people locally and 8.5 million people in 23 states and Washington, D.C. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. Tonight on 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes, the centerpiece of major broadcasts on world events. 60 Minutes gives you the biggest headlines and best storytelling on TV. And now on your schedule. President Trump's campaign. The term fake news. role Russia may have played. From hard news and politics to lifestyle and pop culture, 60 Minutes gets the real story on America's most prevalent issues. The wall on the Mexican border. Humanitarian issues. Hear the 60 Minutes podcast on demand. Download and subscribe at the new radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts.